0: Welcome to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. Each week, we interview top experts in physical therapy, pain science, and integrative pain care. You'll learn the most up-to-date information for treating and reversing persistent pain. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Tata. Hey there, welcome to this week's episode of the Healing Pain Podcast, where we're discussing the evaluation and treatment of neck pain and chronic headaches. Our expert guest this week is Professor Matteo Castaldo. Matteo graduated as a physiotherapist in 2007. After a few years of practice and many courses in manual therapy, he decided to pursue a research PhD with a focus on chronic neck pain, chronic headache, its mechanisms, and central sensitization. Today, he's working as a postdoctoral researcher exploring headache and other chronic pain syndromes. He works part-time as a treating clinician specializing in headache and neck pain, as well as teaches postgraduate courses to physical therapists and medical doctors. On today's episode, you'll learn all about the role of biomechanics and neck-related structures in headache-type pain, how to properly assess headache and neck pain, why physical therapy is helpful for treating these conditions and the shared mechanisms between neck pain, headache, and central sensitization. And before we begin, don't forget there's still time to take advantage of our summer 2020 free book giveaway. All you have to do is visit our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, and then fill out the form by going to the URL www.integrativepainscienceinstitute.com forward slash giveaway, and I'll send you a free copy of my book, Heal Your Pain Now. Remember, there's only 50 copies available, so take advantage of this limited offer while it lasts. Okay, let's begin and let's meet Professor Matteo Castaldo and learn about neck pain and chronic headaches. Hey, Matteo, welcome to the Healing Pain Podcast this week. It's great to have you here. Uh, thank you, Joe. It's a big pleasure to be here with you. I was really looking forward for this interview. Yes, yeah, so I know you reached out to me a couple of, probably a couple of months ago now, and you said I completed yeah. my PhD work and I have some really interesting things to discussed with regard to headache pain and neck pain and central sensitization. And those are all topics that we've covered on the podcast, but we haven't really gone deep into neck pain and headaches, some of the things you're going to talk about today. But tell us how you got started looking into some of these topics.
1: Yeah, because I graduated as a physical therapist in 2007 in my hometown university in Parma in Italy. And then I took uh, like many of us, many different uh, manual therapy coach, different approach did move part time as I'm still a clinician to the research world in 2012 2013 I started and I developed my project my PhD project at the Aalborg University in Denmark so I have to say that in the last few years I've been part time a clinician treating mainly musculoskeletal dysfunction particularly headache in the last few years and still a researcher when I completed my PhD and it was 2017 in that period I was moving from neck pain to headache world. So always studying tension-type headache and in particular migraine and the central
0: sensitization mechanism going on in the brain of those kind of patients. Mm. You've mentioned neck pain, sensitization, headache pain, migraines, tension-type headaches. What did you study first? Because they're all related, but what did you really start with first? I started from neck pain. My
1: PhD was mainly a comparison between uh, central sensitization It was more prevalent and more predominant in whiplash patients as compared to mechanical neck pain patients. As we knew uh, previously from the literature that if in whiplash patients we had clearly central sensitization even in the first stages after the car accident, in mechanical neck pain, literature was a bit unclear about that. So we wanted to assess for musculoskeletal dysfunction for the health situation of those kind of two different neck pain population and for some kind of sensitization mechanism just to assess them, compare them, and to see if there was really two different populations or the same mechanism was the same prevalent
0: between them. Hmm. So from your research, do we know why or do we have any idea why central sensitization tends to happen more in whiplash patients than those with mechanical neck pain?
1: Yeah, it seems to be much more prevalent, as you correctly said, in whiplash patients and something that is really strange is that in whiplash patients when it develops it develops quite soon we have some studies showing that after people who still have neck pain or neck complaints or disability after 1 year they already had some clearly sign of sensitization after the first month from the accident which is kind of strange because for many other uh, chronic pain musculoskeletal and not just only musculoskeletal conditions we know that central sensitization is linked to the duration of the pain So as much as you suffer from a specific condition and the more you become likely to develop sensitization, but in whiplash, it seems that it's something that is really linked to something also genetic. Now, there are a lot of studies about the genetic work, as there are some patients that are really so predisposed to that, that can develop central sensitization even with a small trauma and really, really fast. We know from some Australian research group that also the stressed Mechanisms are involved. So, there are some people that probably are just more vulnerable to this kind of mechanism. So, their stress reaction is, is in some kind of way, we can say, bad and not as good as other people. And probably those patients can start developing psychological complaint, catastrophizing, more pain, some hyperalgesia, and all this stuff that are linked to central sensitization
0: development. Hmm. Interesting. So, how does that? So, for clinicians listening and they're seeing people with flash type diagnoses and injuries. How would that change their treatment approach when working with someone who has chronic pain?
1: Yeah, it's really different because if you're just managing some kind of patient with musculoskeletal dysfunction, and if they don't have signs of central sensitization, you can use your biopsychosocial approach, but you can mainly focusing on the dysfunction, on exercise, education, manual therapy, manipulation, or whatever. But if you have a patient that you can clearly recognize from your assessment, from your baseline assessment, that as strong signs of central sensitization, we have to change the way we approach the patient. As we know, that manual therapy enough will not be probably sufficient, Mm -hmm. as we have some literature showing that when the patient is really high sensitized, they have a lower response to manual therapy approach, and they have a lower response to medication as well. And that's something that is really linked to headache patient. As we know, for example, about the symptomatic medication like triptans that the patient can take to try to interrupt The headache when it's starting. That if the patient is really sensitized, the triptans are less effective. This is something that has come up from two different studies, and it's really interesting that when probably your brain is already too much sensitized, even the efficacy and the effect of the drug, symptomatic drugs, is not the same as it was before. And the same is happening with manual therapy and our approach.
0: Mm, Interesting. So clinicians can start to kind of piece these out into two different boxes, almost, and say. If someone seems like they're sensitized, and I want to talk about signs of central sensitization in a moment, but if someone seems like they're sensitized and they have a whiplash type injury, then less manual therapy and more toward the psychosocial aspects of pain coping for that patient. Definitely. I think that it's really something that you
1: can decide in the first assessment. As you can say, like you were saying, you can put the patient in two different kinds of boxes. in the one in which you decide that the patient has not really clear signs of sensitization you can probably more work on the manual therapy, some exercise, and then some kind of education. But when you have a patient that really has strong signs of sensitization, probably also the management needs to be more disciplinary, as you need more often a psychologist. But as when they are sensitized, they quite often they have some catastrophizing, bad coping strategies, they are depressed, they show signs of anxiety, and they are not as motivated as the other one in trying to improve their condition so they are not motivated at all and so sometimes it's really also think about motivation and finding the right people following the patient 360 degree otherwise you will just be one in the list, probably of those chronic pain patients we had a lot of uh, failure with different uh, osteopaths chiropractors physical therapists drugs and whatever
0: and then when we look at central sensitization in that population of those with whiplash Are the signs and symptoms of central sensitization the same as, let's say, chronic low back pain or do they present differently? Yeah, you mean when
1: the patient shows signs of central sensitization, if they got the same features? Yeah. Yeah, they're mainly the same as you can mainly in your assessment, you can recognize if your chronic musculoskeletal pain is sensitized or not from the interview. So from the anamnesis and the question that you are, when you're just interviewing and talking with the patient, we've got some questionnaires. The most important is the CSI, the Central Sensitization Inventory, which is a good instrument as it usually has a cutoff of 40 points. And if your patient is uh, fulfilling more than 40 points, mainly it's considered highly sensitized. And is a very useful item also to show the patient there is a test saying that probably they need something more complex. And their problem is not a localized problem anymore, but it's something that has spread more and so needs to be treated in a different way. And we use, but that's more for the research setting, the QST, the Quantitative Sensory Testing. We have many of them to assess uh, allodynia, hyperalgesia. As one of the main clinical features, as we were saying in both whiplash and chronic low back pain, if they are sensitized, is that they've got a, a widespread pain, even in healthy body parts. So maybe the patient is coming to the clinic complaining some neck pain or low back pain. But if you test and assess all their body part, they should be healthy, so they should not have a kind of hyperalgesia or allodynia. You will find some of that also in the healthy body part.
0: So how did you move on from whiplash into different types of headaches and the assessment and treatment of headache?
1: Yeah, it happened when I was almost in my last year of the PhD. I was a bit confused. I was saying, okay, now I'm almost getting my PhD, but what I want to do later, I want to be a researcher, a clinician, a teacher, I want to do all of them making my life crazy or whatever. And the idea was to keep on going with the research. So still going part-time research and part-time as a clinician, I, I didn't want to stop with my patient. But I think that the most interesting question comes from patients. I mean, everything that I studied in my research activity in the last few years has come from some specific questions that I had when I was treating my patient, assessing my patients. As I started to work with headache patients and I was mainly treating neck pain patients, whiplash, or mechanical neck pain, and many of those complained also of headache, I started to get interested into headache, and I started to you know, study literature and looking at what was still lacking into literature. And I was involved into a big international project in which I was the leader, the responsible for the Italian part, and we had also Denmark and Spain involved. And it was a very long, longitudinal project that has lasted for two years. And it was mainly on tension-type headache patient, And after that, I moved into migraine, as I, I think is much more interesting, even if, if at that time I thought that probably as physical therapists we will not be so much successful with migraine patients. And after a few years, I have to say that I was completely wrong because if you study the literature and the clinic, if you treat a migraine patient, you will have some so huge, impressive results as well.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I have read that myself that Physical therapy is not indicated, works poorly for migraine-type headache. I think a good place to start is, can you explain to us and articulate the difference between a tension-type headache and a migraine-type headache as far as a clinical presentation?
1: Yeah, the clinical presentation is very different. So usually, even if the patient hasn't got a medical diagnosis, you can strongly divide in two big categories your headache patients. As mainly, the two most important characteristics as migrant patient is that the pain is located unilaterally, just on one side of the face. Sometimes it could shift, but not together at the same time. And the pain is usually in that around the eye and is a kind of pulsating pain. When we move to tension type headache, usually the pain is bilateral and the pain is something that is very dull, is a kind of age that the patient feels like a pressure around their head. And some other characteristics are, for example, that usually migraine leads to much more disability. And that's something that makes a bit of unclear in the classification. As if you see the epidemiology, we know from the literature that there are much more patients suffering from tension-type headache, but those suffering from migraine, they have a stronger disability. As right now, migraine for the global burden of disease studies is classified as the third Uh, most disabling condition, medical condition worldwide. So it's ranked number three, so quite high. And that's not really happening, the same for tension-type addict. So what's really happening, that the patient with a kind of diagnosis of tension-type addict, mostly they're not searching for medical diagnosis, but they just will try to manage themselves with some basic medication, uh, or lifetime, or sometimes some exercise or whatever. And the migraine patient, they really have a strong and disabling pain uh, which could last also for three consecutive days as the international criteria says that a migraine attack will be up to 72 hours mm-hmm. without rest, without any second, without pain. Just to complete another big difference is that usually uh, during the migraine attack, the patient has some kind of nausea, sometimes uh, has got photophobia, phonophobia, has a kind of generalized hypersensitivity that makes you understand, and that's for when we move about the, the pathogenesis, that there is something in the brain that is hyperactive, hypersensitive, and so makes these patients too sensitive to every kind of different stimulation from outside and even from inside. So we can say that migraine is much more complex than tension-type headache, even if tension-type headache is much more diffused around the world. So the prevalence is for sure much higher in tension-type headache, but the
0: disability is much higher in migraine. So I want to talk about the causes of each of those, but. Just kind of weaving this into what you mentioned earlier with regard to central sensitization does central sensitization occur both in migraine as well as tension type or is it more primarily in the migraine type headache
1: yeah it could be present in both as there are many studies showing that central sensitization is a main feature of primary headache and both the headache form that we are talking about they are kind of primary headache so the, we have good studies since the early 2000 years so probably since 20, in the last 20-25 years, we got good scientific evidence explaining and reporting that in both tension-type headache and in migraine, central sensitization could be present and sometimes could be the predominant part of the problem. Even if we know that the migraine brain has much more uh, studies on that, has been studied much more in the last few years, as it's more interesting because usually who pays for scientific research companies and whatever, and they are much more interested in finding a specific drugs which is going to target the migraine brain as compared to tension-type headache, which they take a painkiller or whatever just to manage from themselves. But if we talk from the uh, literature, we got good evidence that central sensitization could be present in both forms of both migraine and tension-type headache as
0: well. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of the MRI studies and the functional MRI studies on migraine. They're interesting from a clinical perspective that Kind of wave of depolarization that happens over the entire cortex is interesting yeah. to clinicians, but both of them can be disabling conditions for patients. Can you talk about the causes of each, if they're distinct, with regard to tension type and migraine type headache, with regard to, I guess, biomechanical, psychosocial, and then some of the lifestyle factors?
1: Yeah. As we were just saying, there are much based on migraine, but we have good evidence also for tension type headache. As Something that is releasing often and we are forgetting is that there are good evidence studies since the 80s trying to link them together and saying that probably they are just two parts of the same Mm trouble. So it's a model that is called a continuum model in which their idea of these different autos, but many, many different autos had the same idea and believe in that, that they are just a continuum in which the tension type headache is the one with less disability and some, in some kind of specific population, probably with a genetic predisposition or whatever, they can evolve towards the most disabling forms of migraine. But from our viewpoint, and that's the basic as physical therapists, that's really important to know. When we have a patient and we don't know which kind of headache they have, we could even say that we are not really interested in the fact that it is a migraine or tension type. For sure, in the interview, we will have some information that we will have our idea of what's the type of headache that the patient is presenting with. But the most important for us is finding some kind of musculoskeletal dysfunction, which are related and linked to the headache of the patient. And this is regardless the kind of the medical diagnosis. The medical diagnosis, for sure, is much important about the medication, about some exclusion criteria, about some red flags, which needs to be investigated when we deal with headache pain, especially if you got a headache that is in changing in characteristic in a person which is not that young as, as when the headache started, as usually headache starts in young age. But otherwise, when we have our patient, we just have to assess the musculoskeletal dysfunction, which are relevant for those kinds of patients. And we have good studies saying that those dysfunction are prevalent in both tension-type headache and migraine. So, whatever is the diagnosis. When we have a patient, the most important thing to do as physical therapist in order to be able to say, okay, I can take you as my patient that I'm gonna try to help you with your disability, with your frequency, with a headache intensity and whatever, with your symptoms. I need to find the link between your neck or temporomandibular joint and your headache. Otherwise, I will not be the professional who can help you. Mm.
0: So there's a connection you're saying between the structure and function of the cervical spine and someone's headache pain, whether it's tension type or migraine.
1: Yeah, and the idea is mainly it comes from neurophysiology, as we have in an area, a particular area, which is called the trugeminal cervical nucleus, which is receiving afference information from both the trigeminal nerve, especially from the ophthalmic branch, and the first three division, the first three uh, cervical uh, spine nerves. And this creates an effect which is called a convergency effect, in which all the afferent information goes on the same station, and then they are projected upwards towards the cortex, uh, the thalamus, the hypothalamus, and so many different areas which are involved in pain modulation and pain processing. And uh, because of that, it's really, really common that regardless of the medical diagnosis, you can find an headache patient that when you go to stimulate some specific neck area, it could be joint muscle or whatever, or with some specific test and movement, you can reproduce the head pain that is usually felt in the patient during the attack. And that's very strong, I think, because if you think to how does it work usually, a neurologist with an assessment with a patient, they're just asking stuff. they are having neurological assessment for sure that is highly important, but they are not trying to reproduce the head pain that the patient is usually experiencing. And so we could be the only professional that are, can directly show to the patient that we can interact with their head pain as we can move something in the neck that they don't know what's really going on that can reproduce their headache. And it's very strong for the patient as the patient say, okay, probably he understood something about my headache as he is able just by pushing or moving something to reproduce my head pain. So this is very effective, especially when we have a patient that has a lot of failure in his history for his headache. So he's tried many different medications. He's tried many different uh, healthcare professionals. And so maybe it's coming to us just because we were treating the, uh, the sister or a colleague or uh, whatever, a parent. And so he's not really motivated. But after that, if you can show that you can have a dialogue with their head pain, that's really strong for the patient. And it's, very, it's really impressive for them.
0: Yeah, I think as professionals, sometimes we forget that a really thorough physical evaluation, just because we do it every day over and over and over again, but it can be really validating for a patient when you're doing something that reproduces their symptoms that no one's been able to see anything on an x-ray or an MRI. And as you mentioned before, a basic evaluation may have have missed that, but they come to your office and you place your hands on them and boom, the pain is reproduced. And of course, later on, if you can obviously you know, alleviate the pain somewhat, then that's that's obviously the best case scenario. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best case. So talking about manual therapy specifically, manual therapy is kind of a big term. There's lots of different techniques and approaches. What does the evidence say with regard to manual therapy for the treatment of, of headache?
1: Yeah, I think that regarding
0: manual therapy, we have different, very important
1: information. First of all, we know that neck pain is highly prevalent in all headache pain. So, it's ranging something between 75 and 90%, depending on the diagnosis, have a comorbidity of neck pain as well, not just headache. And most important is that quite often, neck pain is considered something that could start even earlier before the head pain attack and could last until the end and even for one or two days after the attack, but is not considered in the diagnostic criteria, even if the nausea, which is less predominant, is considered as part of the diagnostic criteria. So it sounds quite strange that the neck pain is not considered, even if it's so prevalent and so important in uh, headache patients. Second, what is really important and allows us to treat with manual therapy those kind of patients is that there is a battery of tests that has been studied a lot in both migraine and tension-type headache from a colleague, a German physical therapist, which is Karsten Lutschke, which she studied all the different manual therapy tests that we can use uh, to assess our patients from manual therapy approach. And she found that there are six different tests which you can assess the patient in like 25, 30 minutes and finding positive tests, you can say uh, that you can treat the patient. And when you move to the literature, we have some systematic review and meta-analysis in the last five, six years, saying that manual therapy could be effective as much as the drugs, especially in the short term, but even in the long term, after six months that you stop with manual therapy approach. So you don't have any negative effect with manual therapy as compared with drugs, for sure. But it's something that is not considered, as we have some guidelines, specific American guidelines, neurologist guidelines, saying that physical therapy and manual therapy should be used as treatment, especially for tension-type headache. But how often does it really happen that a neurologist is sending to a specialized musculoskeletal physical therapist and headache patients? I don't know the situation in your country, but at least in Italy, it's not really happening so often, even if in the guidelines, even the European guidelines are saying the same, that we should treat muscle and joints of our patients, headache patients, as this could lead to an improvement of
0: symptoms. But this is usually not considered. Considering how many people struggle with headache, it's almost like chronic low back pain. Almost everyone has. A headache or a migraine or attention type headache when you start asking them at one point in their life but i think the referrals to practitioners like you and i who are a physical therapist is probably quite low but yeah as you mentioned people will go and pick up tylenol and advil and aleve and potentially things that are even stronger i've even had people on neurontin for you know migraine pain that really had little effect on an outcome at all so just getting back to that manual therapy so If we look at, like, let's say, massage therapy, if we look at joint mobilization, if we look at joint manipulation, like a high thrust grade five manipulation, are any of those more effective or are they all just kind of treating a similar mechanism?
1: Yes. When we speak about manual therapy, there is always this debate uh, going on between, uh, is it better to just mobilize the spine of the patient or we need a specific spinal manipulation in order to achieve a better improvement? And there are good papers showing it's better manipulation, another one showing that it's better mobilization, and some others saying that the results are almost the same. So probably, as we don't, if you figure out how many different manual therapy approaches do we have worldwide that has developed in the last 30, 40 years between USA, Europe, uh, Australia, or whatever... To me, that means that there is nothing that is better than the other one. Otherwise, we will all study the same manual therapy techniques. If there are so many teachers, so many courses, it just means that it doesn't truly matter what you do. I mean, you need to find the specific and the right approach for that specific patient, which is not always the same. As we know that, for example, also uh, what the patients want to have as a therapy, if they want to be manipulated, they will be better responder if you manipulate them. If they want to have a massage and you're going to say, no, you just have to do a specific therapeutic exercise, even if we know that probably the literature will say that for low back pain is better to exercise instead of massage or manipulation, you will have less improvement as the patients were expecting something else. So the expectation also needs to be, you know, matched. So we don't have any technique, any approach that is correct worldwide and is the one that is, you know, the right one for every single headache patient. The most important is to rely on our musculoskeletal assessment. And if you find that there are some joints, there are some muscles, there are some movements that are painful or producing and alleviating the symptoms, you just need to work on that. And I think that is not really important which specific technique you use. But mainly, coming back to manipulation and mobilization, mainly are two different ways of reaching the same goal. Sometimes it's working better on one of the two, and sometimes probably is better. Is working better than the other one, but it's something that you can decide uh, prior to you know, assess your patient and to dialogue and to speak with him and assess what they want to have and what you think that is going to be better for them.
0: Mm. And along that same theme with regard to exercise, there are exercises that we can give people that are specific for their neck and head, or there's kind of more general exercise like aerobic conditioning or strengthening, let's say. Is there a certain approach with regard to therapeutic exercise? That has proven to be more effective for these types of patients.
1: Yeah, again, also here we know that especially migrant patients can have some kind of a good improvement with aerobic exercise. It's still just a bit unclear how often, what is the dosage, the, the optimal dosage for those patients of uh, aerobic exercise. But it's something that is really important because something that we didn't say before, but is really prevalent in in our migraine and tension type headache is that they are quite lazy. They are not moving at all, as probably they experienced some kind of, the pain was going worse with some kind of uh, running or biking or whatever. So they stopped and probably also the neurologist said that you don't have to train, otherwise you will have some strong symptoms. But that's true during the attack. But if we think about a prophylaxis made by Aerobic exercise, we have some papers showing that those patients can have a good improvement. As the same with a therapeutic exercise, also with therapeutic exercise targeting the deep neck flexor, for example, or some uh, mobility exercise, everything could be useful for those patients. For manual therapy, even here, we don't have something that is definitely better than the other, but most often this kind of patient needs to have some manual therapy approach, especially in the first stage of, the, of our treatment, some therapeutic exercise. Some change in the lifestyle, so to be more active, to eat well, and all the things that could help to improve their symptoms. So there are many studies going on right now. And to nowadays, we just know that it's important to take into account all these different aspects. So from the therapeutic exercise to aerobic exercise, but there is no just one approach that is better than the other.
0: In your research, we talk about food and nutrition a lot on this podcast. In your research, I know there's some information with regard to. Certain foods being triggers for people with migraines and other types of headaches has that come up in the PT literature much, or is that still kind of tucked away a little bit more in the nutrition and dietetic world?
1: Yeah, it's something that has been studied with some kind of diet and uh, eliminating some kind of elements that we know that are, uh, can exacerbate the pain, the head pain of the patients, but it's not really linked to our world. I mean. As a physical therapist, what I do with my patient when I am assessing them, I just investigate with some question if they have identified some kind of food, some elements that when they eat them, they get worse with their headache the day after probably. And I just have some suggestion for them trying to make some small changes in their uh, diary just to to see if something changes. And to assess if there is a change, you need to assess the patient for at least one month. Mm -hmm. Something that is really important is the diary in which you can see and the patient can right? Every single trigger factor, triggering factor, like it would be yesterday I ate some chocolate or white wine or whatever. But then if I understood that probably it needs to be approached in a different way, in a more complex way, I send them to a professional which is specialized into nutrition.
0: So as you and I are talking here, you're a wealth of information on headache, which is great. But as I think back to when I used to train more entry-level physical therapists, A lot of new physical therapists are actually a little fearful to treat headache patients. They're scared to put their hands on them. Those types of patients can be very sensitized, which means they can be very reactive to any type of treatment. Are we going kind of deep enough, I guess, in entry-level training with regard to migraine and tension-type headache for the newer practitioners?
1: Yeah, I think that mostly they are afraid as we are not used to treat headache patients. If you think what I usually say in my courses, is if you are here probably because you never had some kind of specific training into headache, when you go, for example, and you want to update yourself with a two-day courses on low back pain or neck pain, probably you are used to treat this kind of patients. And you had already many courses on the management of neck pain, low back pain, or rehabilitation of uh, hip, knee, or whatever. But when you approach, as a clinician, the headache field, probably something completely new, So you're scared, you're afraid because you're touching something that is very sensitive because you're not used to treat the head pain as compared to low back pain in which you trust yourself, you trust all the patients that you treated with success. So mainly, I have to say that also in my courses, I see that even very experienced manual therapists are kind of afraid when they have to explore the upper cervical spine or some tissues in the frontal part here of their neck, in which it's important to find some specific areas in which can reproduce head pain. And that's basically, I think, as we are not trained in our background to manage headache patients. So it's something that when you decide that you want to approach this kind of patient, it's something
0: that is mainly new for our colleagues. So if there's a newer practitioner or a newer physical therapist listening to this, what would be a good first step for them? So maybe they didn't learn a whole bunch about Neck pain or about uh, migraine pain in school, and they're looking either for other than this podcast, listening to your resource. What's a good place for them to start?
1: Yeah, I suggest to, for example, sometimes I have some email in which there are students at the last year of university writing me and asking information about courses on migraine and the management of headache. And they say, Will I be able to follow the course immediately after that I graduate from university? And for sure they can, but I always suggest them to take some other. I would say easier, but it's not the right word. Some other courses of something that they will treat more often in the clinic as they are not experienced. So my suggestion is always start working in a clinic, see the patient that you are more interested in, pathology that you see more often in the clinic, and then take some specific courses about that. Then after a while, like you said, if you have some manual therapy background or some specific neck background it's going to be easier to approach the headache world. Otherwise, you can do that, but it's going to be something that probably you lose at the cost like 20-30% of something that is going to be explained as you need to go back at home and search for a lot of stuff because maybe you, you never heard that, the technique, you never heard this kind of theory about the pathology and whatever. So I think that a general course of manual therapy and something specific about uh, management of neck pain or neck dysfunction is something that is going to be really helpful before approaching
0: the headache world. Yeah, great suggestions. What's missing from our research or what new direction would you like to see the research go with regard to headache in the physical therapy field?
1: Yeah, there is a, something huge that's really missing. That is the, I think it's for that reason that medical doctors and neurologists are not really, we are not dialoguing with, uh, with them a lot in uh, having patients, receiving patients from them. That is, they say, okay, you have some good evidence, scientific evidence, and clinical improvement as well, showing that you can be helpful for those kind of patients, but you need to be able to prove why. So what's really happening when you treat your patients? So why are they improving? As if you think when you target with a drug, you are targeting a receptor, and it's just a molecular binding, and so you know exactly what's going on when you give one pills, one drug to the patient. But we are not really aware of what's going on in the brain of our patient when you are applying a manual therapy technique. If it's painful, not painful, or an exercise, which kind of mechanism we are modulating and activating. And for that, the next big project that we are writing right now, I have to say that in the period of the quarantine in which I had to stop with the clinic and with patients, I had time to write two, and now I'm completing the third one big research project. And one of that is exactly about that. We want to show with a functional MRI study what's going on in the migrant brain before and after our manual therapy techniques. So if we are really able to modulate, especially like the periaqueductal gray and the nucleus coniformis and other brain area that we know are involved in into pain modulation, just to be able to show to the scientific world what's really going on with our techniques. So why we should be healthcare professional that should assess and address those kinds of patients. We need to be able to show what's really going on and why it can be helpful. And I think that this is the big missing link. Otherwise, yeah, you can have your clinical improvement. And if you are good, you will always have a lot of patients. But if you want to have something that is good in general for physical therapy world, I think that we are, must be able to prove what's really going on. And we are designing this study, which should start in 2021 which I think is going to be very interesting as it has never been done before. And so we just have ideas of what's going on. As we know from other studies, what's going on with manual therapy techniques that we have a kind of inhibitory effect and modulating the pain system and whatever, but nothing specific about the migraine, which we know that is a more complex brain.
0: I like that. I mean, I think that's really useful for the profession because it takes it beyond the, well, this person lacks some range of motion or flexibility or strength from the biomechanical and really places it more on the neurophysiological level. And so, yeah, we may be helping some with strength and range of motion, but there's also more happening with regard to neurobiology.
1: Yeah, and most important, we need to be able to speak the same language as medical doctor and neurologist. So we can't speak from the biomechanical model, as they are not aware of that mainly. A neurologist doesn't know anything about the rotation of C1 or C2, of the axis of C1 or whatever trigger point it is or not. As headache usually is their word, we need to be able to communicate with them, to speak the same language at a good scientific level, and to explain what are we doing, but not from a biomechanical viewpoint, as they are not interested. I tried to have so many conversations with good neurologists that were open to physical therapy, but all the time there was the same question. They were interested. We were having interesting conversation. There was a point in which they said, okay, but can you prove What you're saying, I know that if I send the patient to you, probably the patient will improve, but I need to know what's really going on before it becomes something that is the routine, before it's normal that every single headache patient is screened by a specialized physical therapy.
0: Yeah. Great. Well, definitely keep us up to date on that study. We'd love to hear about it when it comes out. And you're, of course, welcome to come back. In the meantime, how can people follow you and continue to follow your work? As a researcher, they can find
1: information on a big network that probably they know that is ResearchGate, in which you can find all the information about the researcher and also all the, all the published paper. And uh, if they're interested in having some courses into heading field, I'm teaching to medical doctor and physical therapists uh, since six years, many different courses. So uh, as I said before, the idea is that you know, if, if they're already experienced physical therapists that had uh, some manual therapy background probably something that could be interesting and is uh, something that could be give a lot of new possibilities as we said before headache is very predominant worldwide so they are really i would say waiting for us as something that we didn't mention before that is highly important is that even if in the last 20 years there has been a lot of studies on drugs and medication specific for migraine we are big far away from getting 100% of patients responding to medication so they are still searching for something else, those patients, and probably they just need to meet us. I'm not saying that we will resolve 100% of the problem, as to be honest, we have to explain to our patient that probably we can help them, we can improve some of the symptoms, we can decrease the use of medication probably, decrease the disability which is associated with headache, but to be honest, we have to say that they will still be headache patients but this is the same that also an honest neurologist will explain the patient as we can just try to manage those symptoms, but they will never fix at all an headache patient. And so I think that is something that we can be really helpful for those patients. So I think that uh, if they are interested, they can write also me and to, via email and I can give some good suggestions about what to read, where to start from, or good colleagues that also work on that field. So definitely I'm they can contact me and they can give all the useful information that I have. And you also have a website too they can find you on, is that right? I have a website that is the one of my clinic. I'm the owner of, the, of that clinic that they can look at it. But it's, I'm, I'm sorry, that it is just in Italian, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. So about information is better on ResearchGate as ResearchGate is in English and they will find everything about me and also the email for contacting me. Otherwise, they could look at polyambulatoriophysiocenter.com which I can send you later, which is the website of the clinic and they can find also there some useful information.
0: Okay, great. Well, make sure to include the URL to your research gate so everyone can check out your research and of course they'll be able to find your email there as well. I want to thank Matteo for joining us on the Healing Pain Podcast this week. Make sure to share this episode out with your friends and colleagues on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever people are hanging out talking about headache pain and of course persistent or chronic pain. I'm Dr. Joe Tata and we'll see you next week. Be well. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. To subscribe to the podcast and learn more, visit Integrative Pain That's Integrative Pain Science Institute.com. Sign up to receive weekly updates, leave a review on iTunes, and share this episode with your friends.